Since the beginning of time, mankind has been trying to connect with the divine. We found ways to meditate, pray, and praise, just trying to make sense of our days. Then the Word became flesh, and for the very first time, we saw what it looked like to be with God. You see, Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And each morning, Jesus retreated to receive what only the Father could give, the daily bread we each need to live. From town to town, Jesus found the outcast and overlooked, the ones people avoided and mistook. And he stopped, listened, shared a meal, served. This way of blessing was Jesus's way of living. And now we open doors of kindness and generosity, meeting needs with no desire for reciprocity. He challenged those who put the law above love. And so we look to the way, Jesus, God's son, the one who was and is and is to come. Hey, good morning, Willow, at all of our locations. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, you may be looking at me and go, okay, I get it. Dave's, uh, he's kind of, he's sitting down. He's kind of got a tape. He's trying to relate. He's trying to be more casual. It's a very strategic look. Uh, no, I went 18 miles this weekend. My feet are killing me. And I'm just trying to hang in there, okay? I'm just trying to hang in there. So uh, just thank you for your patience as I'm sitting down. Uh, and, and thank you to those who are going to help me off this stage after the camera goes out. Anyway, um, listen, uh, speaking of running or walking, I think some of the best moments as a parent or as a grandparent are probably those first steps that your little baby takes. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about? Like that when they start taking those first couple of steps and you know, because everybody wants to be there for that. Uh, you want to get it on film so you capture it forever. And all those babies, they, they always have the same sort of, you know, style in there. Look, I'm walking. I can't even stay down. Anyway, but the babies always do the first steps the same way, sort of that Frankenstein style where they're reaching out for something and they're like, you know, this kind of thing. Like they learned it from Frankenstein. And there is no child... That, that just learns to walk immediately and just keeps going. Like every one of them face plants at some point. That's why God makes them so short so they don't have very long to go. That's why diapers are so thick. You didn't know that, but it's for the cushioning. But that's what happens with uh, little babies as they first learn to walk. Now, I think it is very much the same way when we take our first steps in following Jesus. Uh, it's a little wobbly. It's a little awkward at first. We're not sure what the rules are. Like, can you ask about the dinosaurs and how come those aren't everywhere in the Bible? Or is it, is it Malachi or Malachi? I don't know. You know, are, do I have to vote differently now because I'm a Christian? Like, what are, what are all the rules? Can I drink alcohol? And, and I got to be honest, um, you know, I, I like everybody, but it's those new Christians, those people that are just checking things out. It's the people that maybe you're here for the first time. You just, I just want you to know, like, you're kind of some of my favorite people to be around. Because there's no pretense. There's no, there, there's no trying to impress anybody. You're just, you're just being authentic and being yourself. And I, and I love that. I, I, uh, I was down front after a service one time, and somebody came up and just said, hey, hell of a service, pastor. Hell of a service. And I was like, 
And he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, what? that's okay, I guess, you know, I appreciate that. But, you know, people just, they start, they stumble a little bit along the way. I, um, I had a lady that came up. She was so excited to introduce me to her fiancé. And she said, I want you to marry us. I want you to, to perform the wedding. And I said, um, you know, she was new to the church. And I said, uh, well, okay, you know, we do, we do premarital counseling. I started talking about premarital counseling. And she said, she said, oh, honey, I've been married three times. Ain't nothing you're going to be able to talk to me about <laughs> marriage. You, I've, been, I've done this a lot. <laughs> so, anyway, but listen, this metaphor of walking and stumbling or walking, walking this metaphor of walking, it is, it is all throughout the Bible. If you look at uh, Enoch, it was said in the Old Testament, walked with God. Hebrews 11 it talks about him as well. In John's gospel, uh, Jesus talked about walking as children of the light. Paul, in his writings, he takes it up a notch and talks about running. <laughs> running with perseverance. Run the race that's marked out for us. Jesus himself called himself the way. So like as you are on your journey and you need direction, you need to know which way do I go, Jesus would say, I am the way and the truth, and the life. Uh, the movement of the early church was not called Christianity, at least not early on. In the beginning, they would talk about, you, you wouldn't say, i become a Christian. You wouldn't say, are you, are you, are you going to church? They would say, we're, we're becoming part of the way. It, it, it was the way. It, it was the, the new way of living. It was the new way of walking. It was the new way of journeying. And so we're kicking off this series called This Is The Way. Now, I'm a Gen Xer. I wanted to call it Walk This Way. Um, but every time I did it, I wanted to play air guitar. And our millennial staff would roll their eyes at me. And so their Mandalorian watching uh, folks said, what if we called it This is the way and so we're trying to grow younger as a church so i said okay let's call it this is the way and we're walking through this book of first john john is one of the early disciples of jesus and he writes this book when he writes it it is um later on in his life he's probably uh this is probably the last book written uh for the new testament and uh john is sort of writing to these christians that he probably mentored in the faith. Uh, let's, let's jump right in. 1 John 1, 5 says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. So this message, this uh, gospel, this good news about Jesus, the way that we heard from you, we declared, we heard from him, we declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet, here's the metaphor, walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. And we jump to verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus. So we're having fellowship with Jesus, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So that is what we're talking about, the idea of walking in the way of Jesus. All right, so let's talk about first steps. Let's talk about those first initial steps 
in walking with Jesus? How do you start walking with Jesus? Maybe you're here and you're going, I, okay, do you just, what do I do? Come to church, you know, pick my favorite parking spot, you know, like how do I get into this? First uh, John 1 8 says this if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. All right. And then verse 9, which I will say this, if you're looking for a verse to put on your refrigerator, this is a great one. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, then we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And so among those first couple of steps that it takes or, or, or that is involved in walking with Jesus is this idea of acknowledging our need for Jesus. This idea that I've been running my life my own way and it's just not working. I need something different. I, I need, you know, I, I need help. I have been a sinner. I have, you know, run things my own way. And Jesus, I need to now agree with what you say is right, with what you say is true, and I want to follow you in that. Now, we don't, that's not an easy thing to do. That's not an easy thing to do. We'll play the denial game. You know, like I can quit anytime I want to, or I don't really have a problem. We're just kind of in denial. We hear the word sin and we go, that's an old fashioned church word. I don't like that. And so we, we don't want anything to do with that. We play the denial game. Or we'll play the comparison game. Oh, you think I have a problem? Look at Chrissy. You know, I, sure, I, I, might, I might get a little tipsy at a party every once in a while, but she's got real problems, right? We play this comparison game to, to somehow make ourselves feel better about how we're doing. You, you think, uh, I tell little white lies, well, you know, this person over here, they're cheating on their spouse. And so we somehow, we play the comparison game. And then it says this, it says, and you make God out to be a liar. I think that is looking in scripture, and when God says, this is the way, walk in it, we say, no, that's not the way. And we reinterpret scripture and the theology of the Bible, and we kind of make it what we want it to be. I think it was Thomas Jefferson. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on this. But I think it was Thomas Jefferson that had a version of the Bible where he had pulled out all the parts that he didn't agree with. That's convenient, isn't it? I mean, literally, like, ripped out pages. He's like, well, I don't agree with that. And he takes it out, but then he kept the rest of it. The truth is, is a lot of us do that. I said, God, what you say about sex and marriage, that's, that's old-fashioned, so I'm going to pull that out because I don't, I don't really like that. You say, love my enemy, but God, you, don't, you obviously weren't talking about this guy because, <laughs> come on, and so we rip out pages. Somebody once said that God made us in his image, and then we spend the rest of our lives trying to make him in ours. <laughs> so we make God out to be a liar. Or we'll play the excuses game. You know what I'm talking about? Well, there's, well, there's a reason for what happened. And just for fun, I found these are real excuses that were handed in to teachers on behalf of students. So these are what parents gave to students. Look at these excuses. My son is under the doctor's care and should not take PE. Please execute him. <laughs> so, so be careful with your Here's another one. <laughs> Please excuse Joyce from PE for a few days. Yesterday, she fell out of a tree and misplaced her hip. We don't know where it is. It's, it's gone. Okay. 
And then this is so good. It's missing a word, and it's so good. Please excuse Jimmy for being. It was his father's fault. Uh, <laughs> I love that, which is fun. But we make excuses sometimes for our sin as if to justify what's going on. Again, um, you know, God, uh, I'm not real happy with how the government's going to use my money, so I'm going to cheat, I'm going to lie on my taxes, right? I'm going to justify things. I'm going to make excuses for it. If my husband would pay better attention to me, then I wouldn't feel the need to be reaching out to old boyfriends on Facebook or whatever it is that we deal with where we start to justify what's going on in our lives and we've all made excuses we've all sinned we've all fallen short and so the idea in the first steps of following Jesus is this idea of confession is this idea of saying I've been running my own way it's not working I need help I agree with what you say is the way right that's part of the first first steps if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness. And then there's this idea of not just confession, but this idea of belief and, a, and, and trust. This idea of believing the gospel is true, that Jesus was the Son of God, he was fully human, fully God, came down, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and then gives us an invitation to follow him, and we believe that he rose from the dead. Romans 10.9 says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, now that was, an, that was an antithesis to Caesar is Lord, if you believe Jesus is Lord, you say that, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so in that verse is this idea of belief, but also this idea of putting your trust in or trusting Jesus. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, there's a great old, great old illustration of this. Maybe you've heard it before. It's a guy named Blondin. He was a tightrope walker. And he strung a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And he went out on that tightrope and came back, and all the crowd just cheered. Wow, Blondin, you are amazing. Then he took, he said, wait, watch this. He took a wheelbarrow, and he went out again and came back, and they went, oh, man, that's amazing. Then he put a 250 pounds of concrete into the wheelbarrow and wheeled it out over the, the Niagara Falls. He came back. They were all cheering, Blondin, you can do anything. We believe in you. That's amazing. He said, how many of you believe that I could put a grown man in this wheelbarrow and wheel him out? And they were all like, of course you can. We believe in you, Blondin. And then he said, now, which of you would be that man? And that's the difference between belief and trust. And at some point in your relationship with Jesus or the first steps of, of walking in the way, you have to you, you have to." put your trust. There's a transfer of trust. I'm not trusting in my goodness anymore. I'm trusting in you, Jesus. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to get into heaven on my own merit. I never could. I could never do enough. I could never earn enough. I, I, I need your forgiveness, Jesus, and so I put my trust in you. And I just want to say that if you've never done that, you can do that today. And after this service, wherever you're watching, you can uh, come down and find one of our staff or campus pastors, and we can help you make that decision today. So be praying about that. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. There's, there's no better day than right now. So we invite you to, to be praying about that and thinking about that. All right, 
So that's the idea of first steps. Let's talk about next steps. Let's talk about next steps. In 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 3, it says, We know that we have come to know him. All right, so we know that we are walking the way. We can have assurance of that. If we keep his commands. Verse 6, whoever claims to live in him or walk in the way must live as Jesus did. If you're a parent, you know that it is not your goal to just have your child take a first couple of steps and then be done. No, you want them to take a first couple of steps and then you want them to be able to run and then you want them to be able to skip and jump and live their life and you want them to, to just, you, you want to teach them how to live, not just how to take a first couple of steps. Um, <laughs> a couple of months ago, I was out at a restaurant and um, this young family, young mother, and she had this little girl, and I'm sure the girl was sweet at other times. And um, because this little girl, she was just fired up, and, and she was mad, and she was whatever. And she climbed up on the table at the restaurant and was stomping her feet and yelling at mommy, and I will not get down. And she's just like, honey, you need to get down. You need to, sweetheart, you need to get down. And she wouldn't get down. And that's when the mom did this. Now see, if you're a parent or grandparent, see if, you can, if you've ever heard this before, maybe you've done it. But she looked at this little girl and she said, honey, one, two, three. She went up to 10, folks. To 10. And this little girl's just stomping her feet and all that kind of stuff. 10. That little girl could have robbed a bank by the time she got to 10. And I'm thinking to myself, good, good thing she wasn't like getting ready to run out into traffic. And you're like, honey, come back. One, two, three, you know. Now, why do I tell you that? I tell you that because I believe that walking in the way that next steps involves our life more and more conforming to the way of Jesus. It said, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And I also tell you that because I believe that spiritual maturity can be measured as the time that it takes between you hearing God's word and implementing God's word. Can I say that again? Spiritual maturity can be measured by the time it takes between you hearing God's word and then implementing God's word in your life. So if you're here today and you hear, you know, wow, um, you know, maybe I should forgive that person. How long does it take you to do that? If you hear today, hey, you know what? Generosity, that's a thing. I probably should do that. How long does it take before you actually implement that in your life? Because God's love language is obedience. I'm just going to tell you. He loves it. Just like you love it when your kids begin to exemplify what you're trying to teach them it fires you up when you see their maturity they start taking responsibility for their life they start caring for people not being selfish you you start to see those things that you always hoped when they were little babies and you just you had dreams for their life and as they grow up as they start to to live those things out you just fill up with pride and love and that's what God does with you there's nothing you can ever do to make God love you less or more, but man, when our life begins to start looking like 
Jesus more and more and more. God, I just think, I think that makes God smile. Now, let's go on here in uh, chapter 2, verse 12. It says, I'm writing to you, John, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Awesome. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you dear children. I write to you father. I write to you young men. I write to you children. And, And I just point out the fact that he's talking to older folks, he's talking to younger folks, he's talking to people that have been Christians a long time, he's talking to people that are brand new. He says in verse 28, and now dear children, continue in him, keep taking those next steps again and again and again, so that when he appears, when Jesus comes back, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. The idea is this, Willow, you have people that have been here for years. You've been following and walking with Jesus for decades. And there are some people, there are a lot of people that are here for the very first time. I think 36% of the people of our church are are here within the last uh, three years. So there's just lots of new people as well. And the reason I say that is because walking with Jesus is not a one and done decision. It's not something where you ever arrive and say, well, I did that, I'm done. John is saying to each and every one of you, every one of you has a next step to take. Every one of you has a next step to take. Our mission statement as a church, you say, I know that, love God, love people, change the world. Well, yeah, but actually, it's technically, if you look at it, it's helping people take next steps to love God, love people, and change the world. Love God, grow grow in our love for each other, and change the world. It is every one of our mission statements to continue taking our next steps. You you, you say, well, I don't know what my next step is. Ask your spouse. She'll tell you what your next step is. I'm just kidding. Hey, but this is why, this is why I'm just going to add my endorsement to Rooted, because here is what's happening. By the way, we need to celebrate real quick. By the end of this Rooted period, it's looking like we're going to see 2,000 people go through this at our church. Can we just say thank you to all the staff that have been working on this and to all of our, our leaders? We had a leadership training last week, and it just was phenomenal. It was so encouraging. So for all of you, thank you very much. And if you are not signed up for Rooted, I just want to encourage you, to make that happen this fall. If you can't make it happen this fall, we're going to just keep doing it. Because the idea is this is something that we keep coming back to. You, you say, well, we're just going to keep doing the same curriculum. No, it's not about the curriculum. It is about the rhythms. It is about the rhythms of Rooted. So when you go through it the first time, you're going to get some theology. You're going to get some um, introduction as to why we do the rhythms and those sort of things. But then after you go through that Uh, curriculum, then whatever group you're a part of in the future, as you live as a part of this church, we just keep practicing the rhythms. What are the rhythms? This is basically, as we've looked as, as we've looked at Christian history, like what are the curated practices of Christ followers that have helped them become like Jesus and then help others become like Jesus. Things like daily devotion. We get together, you know, over the word of God on a a regular basis because I need the truth of God pouring over my life, right? Prayer. I need to to communicate with God if I'm going to have a relationship with God. The idea of worship, corporate worship, coming together and celebrating 
uh, what God is doing, being inspired by seeing all these people in one place singing, all of these people celebrating communion together, baptism together, generosity. Um, a lot of times we'll do our generosity uh, online, but we also, like we talk about it on the weekends because it's that moment where we're all saying together, hey, not only am I giving God the gift of my time, I'm prioritizing him on the first day of the week. I'm also pri- prioritizing God not just with my time, but with my resources as well, because you know this, that priority is determined by what you do with your money and your time. And so we all come together and we celebrate that generosity, worship together. And then this idea of, man, I want to change the world. I want to be a part of a movement. I want to join God in what he's doing. And so what do we do? We serve. We get on a team. We start volunteering. What do we do? We bless. That's how we talk about it around here. It's this idea of uh, evangelism or this idea of sharing the good news with other people. Begin with prayer. Listen. Eat, have a real relationship with somebody, serve other people, and invite them to church. And this, other, this idea of repentance, or this idea of having, and I've, you've heard me talk about this, I know that's a scary word, but here's, it's the idea of having a couple people in your life that you're close enough with, that you trust enough, that you can talk about the real things in your life. You need that. This week, I had two of our staff Brothers that I respect, brothers that I trust, they sat me down. They said, hey, you were in a meeting this week. And uh, see, I thought I was being passionate in the meeting. They said, no, your words, you crossed a couple lines. And sure enough, I, I didn't, that was hard for me to hear. But they were right. And so this week, I have to go make some apologies. I have to go make that right. And all of you need people like that in your life. I'm actually, even though that was a hard conversation, I'm actually grateful for those two staff people in my life. And I'd encourage you to be praying for them as they look for new jobs this week, okay? Um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, okay. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Um, so here's the thing, these rhythms, these rooted, these spiritual practices, I did, I sat down with some of our staff and asked them, hey, how have these spiritual practices played out in your walking with Jesus? This is what they had to say. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, you know, we're in a series on spiritual disciplines. It's really about spiritual growth. Sometimes when people talk about spiritual disciplines, that's a scary thing. I decided to invite three of the most friendly people that I know. (laughs) And uh, so I'm glad you guys are here. Tell me this, um, let's start off this way. How has practicing, spiritual practices, disciplines, habits, however you talk about it, how has that actually helped you grow in your relationship with God? I just sit at the piano and I kind of just lead myself in a moment of worship. And um, I do this pretty regularly before my day starts. And, you know, when I think of worship, I think of songs that are simply prayers being sung to God, you know? For me, it's very it's very unique. I, uh, the, I think the way I can connect with God the most is singing in Spanish. Hmm. And so, um, although I do it here at Willow in English, at home, in my private time with God, I do it in Spanish. And it's just something that has uh, strengthened my relationship with God. It's, yeah, it's just the way that I talk to God. I think it first started with me with like serving. 
Like okay. my, my youth pastor asked me to start serving and I don't, I can't understand it or I can't explain it, but I just really felt close to God when I started to do it and being able to understand myself better. But I think that's where it really started for me was just really living out what I was learning. So I started really um, structured reading scripture, journaling, praying every day. And it was like through that, that I realized, oh, God wants more than just for me to learn about him, but to truly experience his love and develop a relationship with him. And then that led me, I still do that pretty um, regularly, but led me to realize that I connect with God the best in nature and that that's mm -hmm. good. And that I can go and hike or be outdoors and ride and really experience like his majesty. I love that. I love that. Have you guys ever set goals in your spiritual, like what kind of, have you done that? And if so, what kinds of goals have you set in spiritual practices? For me, my goal is, is not about um, how much time or how many Bible verses or how much I read. For me, my goal is about um, just creating a habit, the consistency of it. And so, uh, if the consistency is five minutes, then I, I want to do that consistently. I, I had two. That one is, was growing in generosity, realizing mm. it that when uh, the tithe after years of that, it's like, oh, it wasn't like do that and then stop. That then generosity was mm. much more than that, um, and so that's been really great for my husband and I. And then second was a season of really trying to implement rhythms beyond a daily quiet time, where I had like a monthly quiet day and then like a quarterly retreat um, that wasn't necessarily just about solitude or silence, but just going away and being with God. And whether it was nature at the time, what I needed, or just maybe a break from work or um, rest, um, really. So when I look back, when I was probably my healthiest is when I stuck with those rhythms. It's awesome. Mm. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I like to use, like, metrics and stuff of, like, okay, I want to read my Bible this many times this week as, like, a way to help keep me on track towards the goals. Like, I don't think that should dictate how I feel about it. It's growth. Growth and learning. And I just want to come to the end of each year and look back on it saying I've learned so much. Even if I've learned a lot of issues, I learned them and I'm gonna figure it out and do better. And so as long as I'm growing and learning and I can come, I guess, to the end of the month or the end of the year and say, I have a better understanding of myself and of God and where which direction I'm supposed to head in, that for me is like what I'm usually chasing after. What would you tell someone that's maybe intimidated mm -hmm. to get started? Yeah. Uh, where would you point them? I would say for someone who's yeah having a hard time starting, I would say just just start, step into it. Uh, God just wants to simply have a relationship with you. And so when you think of a relationship, you know, like my wife and I, like there's times where we're like, all right, how do we how do we keep uh, fostering our relationship? And so we'll think, okay, we're gonna do a date every Friday night. And so that's a, a simple thing that we put in place. We're gonna go on 30 minute walks every day. And so. Um, the same thing is with God. You know, he wants to have a relationship with you. And so when you think about it as, as a relationship, just think like, how do you foster that relationship with God? And so um, it's as simple as just spending time with God and talking to him and, and God is there to listen. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I would also say that it's like, spiritual disciplines are not a me metric to dictate or help you decide if you're meeting the mark or not or if you're good enough or not, or to prove that you are capable. It's, it's a relational resource. It's just outlets for you to be able to develop a relationship with God, connect with him, know him, have him know you. And really, 
there should be no fear in it because it's just to help you engage where you're at. It's a relational thing. It's not something to make you afraid that you're failing. It's something to help you be excited to grow. Isn't that good? Would you thank them for sharing? Yeah. So we talk about these things not as metrics to see how you're performing, but as relational resources to help you grow closer to Jesus as you walk with him. I love that. First steps, next steps, and then finally this. Just, just get back up when you fall. You want to know what it means to walk with Jesus? I mean, you, you're going to fall. Either you have or you will. And, and when you do, I just have such good news for you it, that you can get back up. Like God loves you more than your mistake. God loves you bigger than your mistake. It was, um, I think it was, it was the first winter that I had a car that I was excited about. You know what I mean? It wasn't new, <laughs> but it was new to me. And I had researched that car, and I went out of state to pick it up, and I brought it home, and I was, I was just super excited about this car. And uh, then winter hit, and the first snow, and Grace was six, Luke was four, and they offered to go out and shovel the snow to mommy and daddy. And I mean, you couldn't be more proud, that, right? Your kids want to help and all, that's so great. So they got up in their big snow suits where they could barely even walk and, and they went out and they started shoveling the snow and we gave them those little, um, those little light uh, shovels, the plastic ones that have the little metal strip on it so you can break the ice but it's still really light for them. And they went out and they were shoveling and shoveling and shoveling. Finally, uh, they came back in and said, Daddy, come see, come see. And I, I walked out and... Uh, they loved me so much that they decided that they were going to shovel all the snow off of my new car with those metal strips. <laughs> and we haven't seen them since. I don't know where they are. I, no. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. My son just went back to college. My daughter just moved uh, we, to to South Dakota just this week. Man, I'd give anything to be able to hand them shovels this week and let them just tear the crud out of my car. <laughs> because, <laughs> because as a father, I love them bigger than their mistakes. And I want you to know I'm just, a, I'm just an earthly father. Your heavenly father loves you bigger than any stumble that you take in following Jesus. The last verse and then I'll be done. In verse 2 it says this, Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's a big savior. And there is nothing that you can do that'll impress God so much that he's gonna love you anymore, but there is nothing that you'll ever do that would make God love you less. And that is good, good news. So if you've fallen, I wanna encourage you today, just go ahead and get back up. 
just go ahead and get back up because in fact he's he's sitting on the other side of the room with his hands like this he doesn't doesn't have them folded not in disgust he's not waving a finger at you frustrated with how you've blown it again he's just got his hands out and saying come on home and when it comes to following Jesus, walking with Jesus, if you say, well, you know what, I, I, I tried, I got in a, 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 on a team, and it just didn't go well, you know what, just get back up. Or you say, well, you know what, I tried reading the Bible, I, I, I've tried that before, I didn't quite know where to start, it just got complex, and I just stopped. That's okay. Just get back up. You say, you know what, I was in a meeting, and... I, I just blew it. I just, I got super angry and I, I let words fly. You know what? That's okay. Just get back up. Let's close with a word of prayer. And I just want to ask you to meditate with me on what it really means. To walk with Jesus. Jesus gave bread to 5,000 people. He met needs wherever he went. I want to be like that. Jesus took a prostitute and loved her in front of people and forgave her even though it wasn't good for his career because he didn't care about appearances. He just cared about doing the right thing. Jesus took time out to be with children. Jesus invested in 12 guys and others, but these 12 guys, he just personally poured into their lives. Jesus would get alone to be with God. The urgency and emergencies of this world, he would put on hold and he would get alone to be with the Father. Jesus was tempted in the desert to chase after success and power and pleasure, and he resisted those temptations. Jesus had the popularity that he could have capitalized on it and made so much money, and yet Jesus was homeless and rejected so many material things. Jesus was baptized. He didn't mean to be, or he didn't need to be, but he did it to fulfill all righteousness, to say, you know what, I, I'm not gonna ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do. Jesus forgave the woman caught in adultery, and not only did he show her grace, he also said, and go and sin no more. He was a truth teller. He had the ability to love unconditionally and tell the truth in an uncompromising way. Jesus prayed to the Father, take this cup from me. God, I don't want to do it. It's going to hurt. It is going to, I don't want it. And yet at the end of the day, he did exactly what God called him to do. He followed. He picked up a cross. 
carried it up a hill. And the truth is, that if we're going to follow him, then we'll need to pick up our cross as well. Amen. Amen.